are Locked On Pelicans, your daily New Orleans Pelicans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with y'all on this Friday, and it's a game day in New Orleans for your Pelicans here as they take on the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to talk about that game in the first segment of the show, get you set for tonight. Then if you want to stick around after that, and I hope you do, we're going to look at some of these advanced stats that I use here, give you some context around them, why I use these numbers over other things too, and just make it so maybe you understand a little bit more. This will be pretty high level. We don't need to get into some of like the nitty gritty details on it all. And it'll also be a good refresher for a number of things too, if you are somewhat familiar with some of these metrics. So let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So it's a game day here in the Crescent City as the Pelicans take on the Milwaukee Bucks in the final preseason game for them. So this is the final tune-up they're going to get. Preseason being shorter, this is why training camp and all of that has been really important for the team this year as you gear up for the start of the regular season next freaking week. Like, this is close. This is soon the 23rd. That's, like, right around the corner. And, of course, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait. So this is the final time you'll get to see the Pelicans before the games start to matter. They looked good the other night against the Miami Heat, uh, beating them handily with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson looking very, very good. You're going to see a bit of a different team in tonight's game. You're going to get Eric Bledsoe back to the team. Um, now, he's going to be somewhat limited. He seems to be a little bit behind on things. Things. He may start. I don't know if he'll play kind of those minutes that a starter would normally play or if things are going to be a little bit not dumbed down, but just less into the offense and the defense because he hasn't gone through as many practices as some of these other guys. J.J. Reddick's going to be ready to go as well. So for the most part, the Pelicans kind of have their full complement of those 10 guys that they want to play consistently. And that's what Stan Van Gundy said you're going to see in this. Probably about 10 guys again. So you throw Eric Bledsoe in there, you throw J.J. Reddick in there, and you can kind of get a good idea of who's going to play significant minutes in this one. So what am I watching for in this? Wins and losses obviously don't matter. So how do Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball do in the backcourt together? They're likely going to be the starting duo uh, on opening night. This means a bit of a different role for Lonzo Ball. Does he handle that well? Does he embrace that role and play well in there? Is he also capable of taking over and being aggressive and when, the, when the time calls for it, when he gets his opportunity? But I think we're going to see really Eric Bledsoe kind of running the point for New Orleans. I'm also going to be watching again Steve Adams, does he just do all of those little things? It, it It's really hard to miss him in the things that he's doing out there on the court. Is he setting good screens? Are they using those dribble handoff actions where he's dribble, 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 grabs the ball, picks it up, hands it to Zion Williamson who comes off of him coming around the corner in like a pick and roll situation where basically Steven Adams is just clearing people out because he's a very, very good screen setter. Is he tipping rebounds to teammates? Is he just trying to box out? Is he going for them himself? I'm curious about all of that. And then the the big thing that I'm curious about in this game is when Zion and Brandon Ingram aren't out there together and Stan Van Gundy said he wants to try and keep one of these guys on the court pretty much the entirety of the time. So when they're separated with just Zion out there with no BI or just BI and no Zion, what are the lineups that they're running around? 
So around Zion Williamson, is it much? Is it more shooters? Are you going to put four out and play him at the center position? Or are you going to run him alongside Steven Adams and let him do this, his thing at the four and Steven Adams do all that dirty work down low? Or do you go super big and then maybe put him at the three and then run someone like Wenyan Gabriel, who's not playing in this game, but or Nicolo Melli at the four and Steven Adams at the five? I'm curious about all of that. So what are the lineups around these guys? For Brandon Ingram, is he basically playing point guard when it's just him out there without Zion? Are they going to run the offense through him in kind of a point forward, maybe more or less kind of role? I'm curious to see all of this. Does that mean that J.J. Redick spends more time with one than the other? Where does Nikhil Alexander-Walker fit into all of this? And I assume he's going to be one of those guys getting significant minutes. Maybe not Jackson Hayes. We'll see. But there's a lot in this game that while the wins and losses don't matter and I'm not really worried about scheme as much, I'm more looking at, okay, what are the rotations going to be like for the regular season? What are some of the lineups that they're going to run and what insight does that give us into the team's strategy? I think those are some of the real big things that we're looking to see. I also do want to see, are they still switching? Are they not switching? All of that kind of stuff, which is some scheme-based things, I think. Or are they just trying to play on that kind of individual effort style of basketball? And look, I want to see that out of Brandon Ingram in this game. He showed us a good bit of it against the Miami Heat. This is going to be harder. It's it's the Bucks. They're very good. They're the favorite to win the NBA title. Is he going to fight on defense through all of that length and have to deal with all of it? Um, and is he going to try and defend well? There's a lot of length there. It makes it tougher. Are you going to contest well? Because they can shoot over you with all the length that they have. And he showed off good flashes of this, I thought, in the Miami Heat game. But Doing it in back-to-back games makes me feel a little bit better. You don't want to read too much into preseason, but effort in a meaningless game, if you're trying in a meaningless game, that makes me feel better that you're going to try in games when they matter, right? If you were kind of like mailing it in here, I could understand it to some degree. It's preseason. You don't want to get hurt. You want to save yourself for the opener, all of that stuff. But if you're trying in this, it probably means you're going to try throughout the regular season. So I'm excited to see if you see that effort out of Brandon Ingram in the game tonight. There will be some fans there in the Smoothie King Center, um, 750, 800 or so. So I'm going to be curious to see the presentation. It sounds like after we got the Miami Heat announcers the other night, you're going to get the regular Pelicans broadcast on Fox Sports Southwest. Um, if you have Cox and I think maybe DirecTV, not on any of the streaming services, so call a friend, see who has a login and see if you can borrow that. But you should get Joel Myers and the, the rest of the crew in the game tonight, Antonio Daniels and Jen Hale, um, if she's with the team and not doing football stuff. So it should be more of a regular season feeling. I still don't know what that's going to be like in the Smoothie King Center without, um, you know, tons of fans there. But it's going to be interesting. I'm going to be curious to see how this all goes. And yeah, we're going to have a lot to talk about on Monday after this final preseason game for New Orleans. Also going to be weird and probably a little bit difficult seeing Drew Holiday in a Bucks uniform. I don't know if they're going to do like a, a, a video board tribute to him or anything like that. Um, and I'm sure whoever's in the Smoothie King Center, you better cheer for this dude. And I'm sure we'll get something like that during the regular season if we don't get it in the game tonight. So we'll get into the advanced stats discussion coming up here. That'll be the next two segments on the show. We'll kind of talk about them in general at first and look at some team numbers and then some individual statistics that I like to use to evaluate players. But before we do that, today's show is brought to you by Built Go. You've got a wall, whether it's physical or mental. Maybe it's just it's tough to get up and work out like you want to. Maybe you've got a big presentation and you've just got to get your mind right and be focused for it. Maybe it's me putting together my show notes for every day of Locked on Pelicans. Sometimes 
sometimes you've just got a wall and you've got to break through it and built go is the solution to that they're easy to take one and a half ounce energy gel packages basically they combine energy gel and collagen protein to get something that gets into your system faster these things are great it's the best workout gel on the market and it's like a five hour energy without the same crash feeling or it's like drinking a monster energy drink with better results and less caffeine comes in three delicious flavors peanut butter honey chocolate coconut and chocolate mint that and uh, that collagen protein is fast absorbing so it's going to get into your system quicker and it's going to give you all of that good stuff that's in built go to ignite your work so visit builtgo.com use promo code locked and you're going to get 20 percent off your next order that's promo code locked for 20 percent off over at builtgo.com let's go Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so advanced stats. You guys hear me use this and use some of these a lot, and I, I use terms like pace, offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, defensive rating, rebounding percentage, real adjusted plus minus, plus minus, um, box score plus minus. I, I could go on and on and on with some of these. Some I like, some I don't, but I use them because they're very good for contextualizing and understanding what's going on around the league. But I've realized that, you know, I've covered the team for 10 years. These are kind of second nature to me. They may not be for you. And so I want you to be able to understand a lot of the things that I'm discussing. And so I don't want you to think that I'm speaking a different language or feel like I'm speaking a different language where you don't understand the points I'm trying to make or what's going on with the team because you don't have the context of what those stats are supposed to tell you. And that's something let's try and rectify in this show. It's a Friday, right? If you need a refresher course on some of this, um, here you go. If you don't know what some of this stuff is, it'll maybe help you understand the game a little bit better. And I think that's a great way to go about it. So advanced stats are things that are, uh, they're kind of combination metrics of different things. You get a lot of information from the box score, but there's a lot of other ways to measure the game. And that's what this kind of does. You know, stats are a record of what has happened. They're not necessarily predictive, but they they tell you what occurred. They're like a fixed number that is just there that re- records what happened in a game. A guy had eight assists in the game the night before. Hopefully we have a Pelican that averages that. That's what he did, right? Like there, there's nothing else you need other than that guy had eight assists. Same for rebounds, points. They tell you what happened. Now it's on us to put the context around the rest of it. Eight assists doesn't tell you the whole story. You can get into how those happened, the types of passes made it, etc. So when I use these numbers, you really do need some context around them too, which is what I try and provide on the show. So the big number that I'm going to start with, and you've heard me say this, and you probably have an understanding of what this is, but that is the pace statistic. The NBA has such different styles of play. Some teams are fast, some teams are slow, and pace is a way of measuring some of that. Basically, what that pace statistic does is estimate the number of offensive possessions you had throughout a game. It does not really take into account um, overtime, and it's basically just like the number of possessions you have. So shot attempts, turnovers, those kind of get added into that pace number and that's kind of how you figure out how many offensive possessions a team has it's a very good way to measure a team that plays fast versus slow and this is important because a lot of the other metrics we use are something called pace adjusted so a team that plays faster maybe takes shots within the first 15 seconds of the shot clock should score more points 
assuming there's an equal shooting percentage, than a team that uses all 24 possessions. You can get two possessions for that team that plays faster compared to just one for the slower team. So in theory, it's four points versus, say, two points right there. But that's not a measure of efficiency. It's just a measure of simply kind of getting shots up because you're doing it more often and er er earlier, which leads to you having more opportunities to do so. And it's why a statistic like points per game can be misleading. You might be able to score a ton of points, but you might not have that efficient offense and it might be due to a volume thing. We've seen that in cases with the Pelicans before. So pace is measuring the amount of possessions. It's an estimated number per 48 minutes for an NBA team. That becomes important for talking about two numbers, the offensive rating and a defensive rating for the team. Offensive, they're, they're basically the same thing. Offensive rating is points per 100 possessions. So let's put everyone on a level playing field and say they got 100 possessions. How many points would they score? That's how you kind of can compare which teams are efficient and which aren't. You're leveling the playing field in terms of pace and in terms of possessions. And now it comes down to basically a per possession basis. Who does the best job? So offensive rating is a measure of that. Defensive rating is basically the inverse of that. It's a measure of the um, amount of points that you give up per 100 possessions. Net rating is offensive rating minus defensive rating. It'll give you a number between those. Basically, a team at zero should be about a 500 team. The team that's high in the positive is very good. Team that's low in the negative is bad. And it's a good way to kind of get a general idea of what is going on with the team. If you look at NBA champions over the past, say, 30 years or so and measure their net rating, so their offensive rating minus their defensive rating, then you usually see an NBA champion with an, uh, a net rating of plus six. So their offensive rating minus their defensive rating has a difference of six or more. And that can kind of give you an idea of what's a real true contender. So that six mark is kind of what I look at over a large enough sample size to get an idea of what is a really good team or is there a lineup working well? Because we can measure all of this stuff on an individual lineup level. So not just a team level, but which five guys are going out there and playing the best. Which five guys have the best offensive rating? So if they played 100 possessions together, what would their offensive rating be? How many points would they score if they played 100 possessions? What would their defensive rating be? And you can get an idea for how effective a lineup is. And I use that a good bit in our discussion around the team. Those are really the biggest numbers, I think, when it comes to team statistics. Offensive rating, defensive rating, and pace. And that's kind of how you can really get an idea of what this team looks like. I use a lot of the tracking data, which is available on NBA.com stats. They have special cameras in arenas that can measure teams in specific ways. And these are usually done on a per possession basis. So when you hear me talk about how the Pelicans played in transition 25% of the time, we are getting that through advanced tracking cameras and uh, in other measurements, I guess. And that can kind of see the team at a more granular level. So we know what their offensive rating is overall, but maybe they're really good in transition and bad everywhere else. Or maybe they're bad in transition, but they're really good in the half court. And that's a good way to kind of figure that out. And you can look at that at a per possession basis. 
So while the Pelicans might play a ton in transition and score a lot of points in transition, they're not particularly great at it because we can see their points per possession. You could multiply that by 100 to give you an offensive rating in theory for that kind of category. So it's a way to measure where the Pelicans stand in relation to the rest of the league and if something they're doing is good or if something they're doing is bad. So we're going to get into individual player metrics that I use and that I like coming up. And I'm going to talk a little bit about those to start too, because there's a lot of context that needs to get put around those. And I'll give you an example from the other day. So that's coming up here next on Locked On Pelicans. All right, all you Pelicans and NBA fans, the season is upon us in the Locked On NBA podcast. All this week gave you season previews for all 30 teams from all of our local hosts. I was on there doing the Locked On Pelicans one, obviously, plus waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball and rookies to watch from draft guru Chad Ford. Give it a listen. This is your one-stop shop for needing to get ready for the season, which starts next week. So catch up on it. These are really awesome shows. The local guys know their teams better than the national people do, just like I I know the Pelicans, and you probably know the Pelicans better than the national people. So listen to the local experts on their team covering it here on the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So we just talked about the team metrics that I like, and and that's pretty simple. I like the advanced tracking stuff because I trust some of that data for the most part. I like the offensive rating, the defensive rating, net rating. I think that's a really good way to get a general feel on the team. And I like the lineup data because it's with five guys out there. So there's a lot of context put in. Now I want to look at some of the individual statistics. Now these require context around them. As I said, these are just a record of what occurred. It doesn't tell you how something occurred or why something occurred. And it can lead to you making leaps in logic or just making judgments that are straight up incorrect. A lot of these statistics need a lot of context put around them. The way I use a lot of these individual player statistics to help me understand what's going on with the team and then explain that to you is if if I see something that goes out there on the court, I go, oh, this guy's helping the team offensively or this player's hurting the team offensively or this guy's doing this thing well, I'll then go to some of the numbers to see if that bears it out. This is me trying to match the eye test and the statistics. And if they disagree, That's when you kind of need to dig in a little bit more and try and understand what's happening for whatever point it is I'm trying to make. Sometimes I'll be going through statistics and one will jump out at me and I'll be like, whoa, that that looks interesting. And then you've got to watch the film and you've probably got to look at some other numbers to verify that what is causing that statistic to kind of stand out to you that way. So an example I want to use of a stat I don't particularly like is individual plus minus in the box score that you can get kind of anywhere. And we looked at this the other day with the Miami Heat game because Nicolo Melli led the team with the highest individual plus minus. I think he was plus 17. I'm not going to pull it up. He clearly wasn't the best player out there on the court, right? So, so what happened with this? I saw some people being like, oh, he helps the team because of spacing. He was, he was two of seven in that game. He wasn't shooting the ball particularly well. So it clearly wasn't that, but the numbers make him look good, right? And then we dove in and we kind of realized what was going on. We looked at his individual offensive rating, the team's offensive rating with him out there on the court. We looked at the team's defensive rating with him out there on the court. And you can kind of see that, okay, there's something fluky going on. They, the Miami Heat had terrible offense when he was out there and he had an amazing defensive rating. Was that him locking down the heat or was it the heat missing shots and he just happened to be out there on the court? So these individual numbers need context around them for the most part because you have four other guys out there on the court with you. That influences it a lot. 
If you go back to the big three with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh in the Miami Heat, Wade was the only one that would play without either uh, Bosh or LeBron James out there on the court. And as such, his individual plus minus was often lower than those other two guys because he was playing with scrubs when they never played with as many scrubs as Dwayne Wade played with. So you need context like that to not immediately go, oh, well, Dwayne Wade is the worst out of the three based on that one statistic. So that's where some of this stuff kind of comes into play with a lot of these players. Some of that you don't need it, but I, I think it's important to kind of look at that. But I'm not going to get into too many of those because I don't know how helpful some of those numbers are and I don't use them a lot here on the court. So first thing that I look at with a lot of players individually is how they play in certain uh, types of possessions. And that's similar to the tracking data I just talked about in the first, in the second segment here on the team side of things. We can look at how a guy like Lonzo Ball does in the pick and roll. As the ball handler in the pick and roll, does he score well? Does he turn the ball over? And some of these things are just simple division applications of it. Number of times he drives in the pick and roll. Okay, he does it eight times. It's not that many. Ten times per game, let's say, to make, the easier, make it easy. He turns the ball over two times whenever he does that. Okay, he turns the ball over 20% of the time. Whenever you hear percentages like that, turnover percentage, that's what that is. It needs not a ton of context with it. One that does, and one I'll probably be using a good bit this year, is box plus minus. You'll see it as BPM, RABPM, real adjusted box plus minus. There's a couple of different ways to go about it and a couple of different calculations used. It's an interesting statistic that tries to be a one-stop shop, like an all-encompassing metric. So if you were to grade a player and you only had one thing you could use, this is probably one of the better ones. It takes... Uh, it, basically, it's trying to estimate a player's contribution to the team when that player's on the court. So how much of an impact do they have? How much do they contribute? And it's based on information used in the box score that's readily available. Shooting percentage, free throw attempts, you know, all, all of that stuff. Rebounds. Um, and what it does then is... Average it per 100 possessions played, and then it tries to add a little bit more context out there by adjusting for a player's role and position. So a block to a center, while good, is not as good as, say, a block from a guard. You're kind of expecting it with center. So if they give you a block per game, it's just kind of normal, right? Like they're not going above and beyond what they should be doing. And so that is a way to really kind of measure what a player's impact out there is on the court. To give you a sense of scale that zero is average. So it's a decent starter or a solid six man. Plus two is a good starter. Plus four is an all-star kind of guy. Plus 10 is an all-time season. And then minus two is a bench player. So basically like your replacement guy, kind of end of the bench rotation guy. And then below two, end of the bench kind of player, maybe you shouldn't be playing as much. I'll use this a lot to try and compare some of these guys to other guys around the league because it can, can make it a little bit easier and it kind of evaluates everyone for the most part, in their role and largely the same. Comparing, say, Lonzo Ball to a guy coming off the bench isn't an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. This adjusts for that kind of context and can give you a better apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Some other numbers for individuals that I'm going to use this year, you've probably have heard me use too. These are pretty simple. There's effective field goal percentage, E field goal percentage, and true shooting percentage, TS. Basically, E field goal percentage is... Fairly simple. It factors in that three-pointers are more than two-pointers. 
And so you can have an effective field goal percentage that should be higher than your regular field goal percentage if you're making threes because it weights them differently. Basically, that three-point percentage is weighted at was it one, uh, one and a half times the equi- the equivalent of a two-point percentage. True shooting, which is something we're probably going to look at with Zion Williamson a lot this year, takes it a little bit further. It factors in free throw attempts as well. And so this is a very good all-encompassing metric to kind of measure a, a player's scoring. Higher true shooting percentage is going to measure the fact that you get to the line and if you hit your free throws there, three-pointers made, and your regular field goal percentage. You can be a really efficient scorer, but if you're getting fouled and going to the line a lot, it's not showing up in that field goal percentage metric. This is a way that you can kind of figure out how much they're contributing in terms of scoring out there on the court. So those are a number of what I use to evaluate individual players. There, there's a ton more. If, if you're curious about it, go to the nba.com uh, slash stats website, and there's a ton you can dig through in there, and it's very, very illuminating. Like I said, when it comes to individual players, context is really important too. I try and provide that for you all when we see interesting like anomalies or things kind of come up. But that's a lot of what I look at when I'm evaluating players and trying to understand just what's going on out there with the Pelicans a little bit more. So hopefully this gives you some more um, general concept and understanding of some of the things we'll be talking about this season. The season starts next week, so we're going to dive into all this stuff pretty soon um, a little bit more. So if you're a new listener and you haven't really heard some of this stuff before, that's what it is. Feel free to ask me on Twitter at Nola Jake if there's other things you want to hear like this. I think we'll do these kind of, I guess, educational segments, though I don't like calling them that, explainer segments. We can do that on specific things too. I've had some people ask me about specific play types and some of the terminology to maybe explain that a little bit more so that everyone kind of knows what's going on with this team and we can all give the best type of analysis here. Maybe someone will put me out of a job one day. Um, So hopefully this helped a little bit. If there's other statistics you're curious about, let me know. We can do some more of these uh, throughout the course of the season. So this was fun. I'm looking forward to next week as we gear up for regular season basketball. So thank you all very much for listening this week of podcast. Enjoy the game tonight. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all on Monday to recap the final preseason game and gear up for the regular season.